I don't know what to do. That is what she said to me. She was in the other chair in my office, and I was in the chair I usually sit in, and there was a box of tissues in between us that was very quickly going down because she was using them very efficiently, and she said, I don't know what to do. Her husband, I guess you could say he had a wayward heart, uh, and she was saying things like, I feel like I've tried everything. Uh, I, I give him everything he wants. I don't understand why what he wants is other women. And so she shed tears, and that helped her to feel better about it. And she and I talked about some of the things that I talked with you guys about last week, about why God puts such hard things in our lives. And that was some encouragement to her, but none of that is why she was there. She was there because she didn't know what to do, and she needed help figuring out what to do. She needed wisdom to know how to handle this terrible situation that she was in. Sometimes, like we talked about last week, the difficulties of life are so great that we have to remember why God put them there, right? And we talked about that a little bit last week. God puts hard things in your life to give you endurance, to complete your character. But there's more to be said about that, and we're about to read more that James says about it. Because sometimes what the hard things in your life do is they reveal that you don't know what to do in hard times. Right? Sometimes the hard things aren't just hard, they're hard to figure out. They're perplexing, they're puzzling, and you stare down a problem that's going on in your life and you're saying, this isn't just difficult, this doesn't just make me want to bawl and cry. I don't know how to handle this. I don't know what to do. And so today we're going to look to the book of James and learn what to do when we don't know what to do. You know, I talked about uh, the challenges and joys of raising children last week, right? And one of the hardest things, I think, is when they start fighting amongst themselves and, and you're, you, know, you stop what you're doing and you're frustrated and you're like, okay, thank you, God, for giving me endurance through frustration. I'm gonna go handle this. And you go and you're like, okay, what happened? And all three of them have a very different version of what happened, right? So the first one's like, well, I had this blue crayon and I was coloring and everything was going great, but then he took it from me and he started hitting me because he didn't want me to have the blue crayon. And then, of course, the other one's like, no, 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 I didn't take the blue crown from you. You just hit me because you thought I was going to take it, and I have no idea how I got this blue crown in my hand. And then the third one's like, no, I had the crown, and you both took it from me, and then you started hitting each other, fighting over the crown. And all you know is at least two of them are lying, and at least one of them hit somebody, and you don't know who it was, and you don't know how to handle this justly and fairly because you have no clue what happened. And you're looking at it, and you're thinking, I just don't have the wisdom to sort through looking them all in the eye and figuring out which one of them's not telling the truth. And so it's not just frustrating and difficult, but you just don't know what to do. You're stumped by it. Uh, we talked also last week about how oftentimes the hard times in our life involve hospitals and either ourselves or someone we love staying in a hospital. Uh, and that can be full of sorrow. It can be full of, of so much. Sometimes it's full of hard decisions too, isn't it? Sometimes you're in the middle of handling your sorrow over a loved one that you know is near the end of their life and you're there in the room, but, but then on top of this, the doctor and the nurse come in and they explain some things to you and they seem very serious and you realize what's going on and one of them says to you, we're telling you all these things because whether you realize it or not, you're the one who has to decide if we keep treating her or not. You're the one who has to decide how long we have to keep her alive. And you're looking at that and saying, I didn't get up this morning planning to make that decision. I don't, I don't have enough wisdom to make that call. 
So in the midst of all that sorrow, you've also got a tough decision to make. And the Lord is revealing to you through that, I don't have the wisdom to handle this. James says he wants our character to be complete, lacking in nothing. Well, what about when what you lack is the wisdom to deal with the hard stuff that God is putting in your life? Well, I'm here to tell you today that God wrote this book to show you his great glory and to teach you his ways. And if you have spent even your whole life spurning his glory and not walking in his ways, he has made a way through the death of his son Jesus that you can come back and live in worship of him again and walk in his ways. And we'll talk a little more about what that looks like in a bit. And I think the work that the Lord might do in your life this morning is probably one of two things. Either he's going to call you to come back into living in his ways if you've been walking away from him, or if you've been following Jesus for a little while or quite some time, he's just going to show you one little bit of what that looks like and how great he is and what it looks like to follow him when you are stumped by the difficulties of life and do not know what to do. So if you'd love for the Lord to shed wisdom on those hard things in your life that you can't decide what to do on, turn with me to the book of James, chapter 1. And if you're using a pew Bible, start at the back and flip to page 177 and you'll find it there. We'll put it on the screens for you as well. James 1, 5 through 8. But if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives generously to all, without reproach, and it will be given to him. But he must ask in faith without any doubting, for the one who doubts is like the surf of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. You know, a lot of you don't know this about me, but when I was in seminary, I worked my way through most of seminary by waiting tables at a very fancy restaurant in downtown Louisville. It was the most expensive major chain in the world. Guests came in there and they spent so much money on food and drinks, I couldn't believe it the first time that I saw the menu. It was a great place to work, a fantastic group of people to work with. But I gotta be honest with you, in the very beginning, it was really hard, and it was difficult because I didn't understand my boss, and I didn't understand what he was doing. We worked for a really great manager named Joe, who really knew his stuff. He was just a fantastic leader, and he kept that restaurant running in tip-top shape. And there was a lot to learn, and so in my first five or six months there, he was just constantly correcting me. You know what that feels like? Like every time you're taking a step, it's like, nope, that's not how you fold the napkin. This is how you, nope, that's not how you fill up the glass. This is how you fill up every last thing. Nope, I've, I've already told you not to do it that way. This is how you do it for five or six months over and over and over again. And I thought, I thought honestly that he was out to get me. I thought he, I thought he was disappointed that he'd hired me and I didn't already know all this stuff. And it was so hard and the first couple of months I thought about quitting so many times and I all I came this close to, to quitting so many times but it was a really good job and it was helping me pay for seminary and I knew I needed to hang on to it things started to change when I started to understand him and it was two things he said that made me realize what was going on first 
we were having an employee review, which is when you sit down and they tell you everything you're doing wrong. And so we sat down and he told me everything I was doing wrong. And it was not a fun conversation. And he slips into the middle of this in between like two or three other statements that I don't even remember. He slips in the phrase, because we want to see you succeed, and then just goes into whatever else he was saying. And, and I didn't remember any of that. All I remembered was how odd it sounded that this guy that I thought was out to get me said, we want to see you succeed. And I thought, you, you want me to you want me to succeed? What, what's going on here? And th so then, at another point, we're standing there talking, and he's answering a couple questions that I've got, and he's just got this smile on his face, and he said, you know, whenever you got questions like this, even if you feel silly, uh, just, just come to him and ask him. And he, and he said this phrase, I'll never forget, he said, the only stupid question is a question you don't ask. The only stupid question is a question you don't ask. And I thought, oh, and over time, I started realizing what was going on. He wasn't this mean guy who was out to get me, who was trying to get me fired. He, he would have just fired me if that was the case. No, actually, to do this job well, we had to know all sorts of stuff. I mean, I had to give a five-minute presentation on the menu to every single table. I had to know how big the asparagus had to be at the bottom and how big they had to be at the top and how long they had to be and what farm in Mexico they came from and what was special about that farm that they came from. And that was just the asparagus that nobody ever ordered, never mind the things that people actually cared about. I mean, a wealth of knowledge, and he had it all. I dare say he knew more than his own bosses knew about that restaurant world. He was a restaurant genius. And he was eager to share all of his knowledge with the people that worked for him. Once I realized that, and I stopped trying to impress him, and instead I tried to learn from him, everything changed. All of a sudden, I had his favor just like that because I was the one that was asking questions all the time. All of a sudden, I was learning and learning and learning and surprising myself that I was actually getting pretty decent at the job, and now all of a sudden, everything is going much, much better. Why? Because of one simple change that I realized that my boss wasn't out to get me. He was out to teach me because he was eager to share his wisdom with me. Well, James is saying here, that you need to see God in the way that I should have seen my boss in those early months that I worked for him, as a storehouse of wisdom, eager to share it with you and give you enough wisdom to handle whatever crisis you're in. Look at how he describes God in verse 5. I mean, what a great, what a great God this is. It says that he gives generously to all and without reproach. He gives generously to all and without reproach. So two different ways that he gives at the same time, one very generously, and he does it without reproach or without finding fault. When it says generously here, it means, well, what you're probably thinking when he says generously, like he gives it lavishly, he gives a lot, and it also means sincerely and truly. So he's not like you know, 75% of him wants to give. You ever give a gift and like there's a part of you that's like, I don't really want to give this to you because I don't actually like you as much as I'm... He doesn't do that. Like 100% of him, he, all of him wants to give wisdom to you and he gives it generously to all who ask. And then it says that he gives it without reproach, which means that he does not find fault in the people asking for it, right? You ever, you ever work for a boss or have a teacher where you felt like you couldn't ask a question because you were afraid of how they might respond? 
Well, God is not like that. He wants to hear the questions. He wants us to go to him. And he is not going to say, hey, you read that three days ago in your quiet time. You should have figured that out. That's not the way that he responds when we go to him and say, I don't have enough wisdom to handle this. Will you give me wisdom? He is generous and he loves to give it. Proverbs 2.6 says this about him. It says, for the Lord gives wisdom and from his mouth come knowledge and understanding. He likes giving out wisdom so much that he wrote 66 books and compiled them together in the Bible. He didn't have to do that. He didn't do that because he felt like he had to. He did that because he wanted to, because he wants us to hear his wisdom and wants us to learn from him. He likes giving out wisdom so much that one of those books is called the Proverbs and it is full of wisdom and he wrote it so we could learn wisdom and there are books next to it, the Psalms and Ecclesiastes and other ones that are written right there because he wants us to learn wisdom. And if you have trouble seeing him that way, uh, listen to this story from 1 Kings about the Lord. Uh, Many of you know who Solomon is, and you know that King David ruled for many years in Israel, and he built up Israel to be the really just about the greatest kingdom that there had ever been at that time. And when he died, he left the kingdom to his son Solomon, who was still rather young. And Solomon was intimidated because he's now got this great kingdom he's inherited and he's looking at how much wisdom is required to rule and he's like, I don't, I don't have this. He tries a couple of underhanded things in the first couple of chapters, does a couple of things that I don't know that I'd be too proud of if I had done. And then all of a sudden, the Lord appears to him in a dream one night and he says, Solomon, ask what I will give you. In other words, blank check, Solomon. Here you go. You can ask for anything right now, and I'll give it to you. And Solomon, intimidated by this responsibility he's got to lead the kingdom, he says, God, give me wisdom to lead. I don't have enough wisdom to do this, so, so give wisdom to me. And, and look at how God responds in 1 Kings, verses 10, uh, 1 Kings 3, verses 10 to 14. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says, it was, it was pleasing in the sight of the Lord, that Solomon had asked this thing. Can you, can you see God's heart smiling and saying, oh, you could have asked for anything in the whole world, and the one thing you asked for is one of my favorite things to give. God is pleased in his heart that Solomon asked for this thing. And so God said to him, because you have asked this thing, this thing, one of my favorite things to give, and have not asked for long life, Uh, nor have you asked for riches for yourself, nor have you asked for the life of your enemies, but you have asked for yourself discernment to understand justice. Behold, I have done according to your words. Behold, I have given you a wise and discerning heart so that there has been no one like you before you, nor shall anyone like you arise after you. So, So he doesn't just give him some wisdom. He gives him more wisdom than he has ever given anyone else before and makes him the wisest king who has ever ruled. And if that's not crazy, listen to the rest of this in verse 13. And I have also given you what you have not asked. 
both riches and honor, so that there will not be any among the kings like you all your days, if you'll walk in my, my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandment as your father David walked, then I will prolong your ways. So, so we're wondering, like, if I go to God and ask for wisdom, is he going to give me what I asked for? And the real question we need to be asking is, if we go to God and ask for wisdom, what else is he going to give us? That's his nature, to give us 10 times the wisdom that we were going to ask for, and to give us all sorts of other things that's what he likes to do because he loves to give wisdom he says i love to give everything i have i'm a storehouse of wisdom wisdom was right next to me when i created all the earth and every tree that you've ever seen and every road that's ever been driven down when i crafted everything wisdom was right there i've got it and i love to give it can you see the heart of god in that that he looks to you and smiles and wants to give you wisdom when you ask for it. What a great God he is. And so it makes perfect sense then what James says. He says, but if any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, right, who gives generously to all and without reproach, and it will be given to him. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? What do you do when you're stumped by those hard situations in life? God says, I love giving out wisdom. It's, it's so close and so dear to my heart to give out wisdom. Just come and just ask for it, and I'll give it to you. What do you do if you're broke and you have a crazy rich friend who loves to give away money? What are you going to do? You're going to go ask your crazy rich friend who loves to give away money for some money. Okay. Well, what do you do if you lack wisdom and you worship the God who made the entire universe, and he loves to give away wisdom. What do you do? You go and you ask him for wisdom because you know he loves to give it away. You, you turn to his word and you find wisdom. You spend hours and hours again and again over the Proverbs, thinking about these things, meditating on these things through the rest of the word. And then you see that it says, well, in the abundance of counselors, plans su succeed. And so you're thinking, okay, looks like I need to ask a lot of people for advice. Who are the five wisest people I know? And you list them off and, okay, now I got phone calls to make and I got people to ask. You will find wisdom and guidance right there when you turn to his word and ask the Lord to give you wisdom. He will teach it to you because he is good. That is a good, good God. But, there's a but. Look what it says next in verse 6. But he must ask in faith without any doubting. If you want to ask God for wisdom, you've got to trust him. And so we've got to have faith. So, so what is faith, right? If you must ask in faith without any doubting, we better understand really well what faith is and what doubting is so that we can make sure we're receiving wisdom when we ask for it. The best way to describe it, I think, or one really good way maybe to describe faith is faith is believing in the promises of God before you have seen them come about. Faith is trusting God's promises before you've seen his promises come true for you. So you can think of the book of Hebrews, which says that faith is believing in what we have not seen, and it then goes on to describe several heroes of the faith, and they all follow the same pattern. They were all promised something by God, and they all acted because they believed that promise 
And they all had not seen that promise yet. So, for example, Abraham, he's promised one day by God. God says, I'm going to give you a great nation, a great number of people under you, and a great land. But that land is over there. So go over there to this nation that I'm giving you. And so Abraham just up and leaves everything that he has, and he goes to this new land that God has promised him. Now, he hasn't received that yet. He hasn't received all these descendants God has talked about yet, but he believes the promise that God made to him. And so that changes how he acts. That's faith. Or it says very similar things of Noah. Noah was promised. Now, I know you live in a desert, but a flood is coming, and it's going to be catastrophic and cover the whole earth. And so you need to build an ark so that you and your family can be saved. Now, this is before anyone had ever seen a raindrop fall on the earth. No one had ever seen rain before. He's in the desert And God says, there's going to be a flood, you need to build an ark. He hasn't seen any of this come about yet. He's never even seen a drop of rain in his life before, but he believes the promise. And so he acts on it and says, okay, I guess I need to build myself an ark because the Lord says that a flood is coming. That's faith. Faith is believing in the promises God makes to you before you've seen them come about. So what does that mean for you? Well, Jesus has promised you that you never have to fear paying for any of your sins ever, right? Now, when we die, we go before God in judgment, and that is a scary thought for a lot of us. But his promise to you is you don't have to be afraid of that because Jesus Christ paid for every single one of your sins on the cross, right? His death pays for your sins, so you don't have to fear going before God in judgment, And what's more than that, you don't have to fear death because Jesus rose from the dead. He conquered the grave. He got up out of that grave and walked out. And when he comes back, he promises to raise us all from our graves to live forever with him. Those are great promises to you. Now, did you see Jesus when he died on the cross? No, you didn't see that. Did you see him walk out of the grave? No, you weren't there. Have we seen him come back yet and raise the dead from their graves? No, we haven't seen that yet. But if, without having seen them yet, you believe those promises, and you say, those promises are true for me. Jesus pays for my sin. He promises he's coming back, and when he does, I will rise from the grave, and you trust your life to those promises. That's faith, because that is believing the promises God makes to you without ever having seen them come about yet. Now, one day they will come about, but if you're believing before they come about, that is faith. So the promise here is that God is generous with wisdom, and he loves to give wisdom to those who ask, and so if you go and ask, it will be given to you. And so going to him, asking for wisdom, you've got to trust that that promise is true before you see it come about, right? So you're not asking to test him, and I wonder if this verse is real. Maybe God will give me wisdom if I ask for it. No, the one who goes in faith says, well, God, I haven't seen you do that yet, but I bet I'm about to because I'm gonna ask you for wisdom and, and I know, because you promise you will, that you are going to give it to me. That is faith. And that holds true whether the storms are raging around you or whether the sea is calm around you. Now, the opposite of that here is, is doubt, which you could term wavering if you wanted to, you know. You waver back and forth. One minute, you're, yeah, I trust God and his promises. I will follow all of his ways. And then something or other happens. And now, oh, I'm not so sure about this whole thing. And now you're walking away from his ways. Or in some areas of your life, you'll trust him and follow him. But in other areas of your life, you will not. So you're flip-flopping back and forth. 
And the way that James describes that is, is a person who does that, who doubts and wavers back and forth, is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. Now, these waves don't choose where they're going, do they? They don't say, I'm going to go over here, and then I'm going to go over there. No, they're just being blown around by outside forces. And so the wave is just kind of rolling along really smoothly, and then the winds rear up, and then boom, now the wave is over here, and now it's much bigger. And then a boat comes through, and now it's cut in half, and now it's turned into a wake that is rolling along. And then the ground beneath it shakes, and that shaking comes all the way up to the surface, and now a huge tsunami is formed, and it's going for the land. It does its destruction, and then it pulls back out. The wave didn't choose to do any of that. It was controlled by outside forces that were moving it this way, moving it that way, boom, this way, that way this way, that way. James says, if you're doubting, if you're wavering back and forth, that that's true of you too. And that's important because a lot of us who waver think that we're in control, right? We think that we are choosing when we're having a good spell and when we're having a bad spell, right? But the truth is, no, your faith is in the control of outside forces when you're wavering. You're going along, everything's working great, no storms going on, and you're just sailing strong in your faith, you're loving it, and then the winds rear up, right? And then poof, now you're being crashed about. Now you're not so sure if God's promises are really true. Uh, and then the ground beneath you shakes, the ground of temptation shakes, right? And before you were going along like, yeah, I'm doing great, I haven't messed up in whatever great sin I've been fighting in like three or four weeks, it's been awesome. But now the ground of temptation is shaking underneath you and welling up this huge tsunami. Next thing you know, you're going for land and causing all sorts of havoc. What's going on? Your faith isn't sure and steadfast, and so you're controlled by those outside forces, by those sufferings in your life, by those temptations in your life. And you're doing great when they're not there, but the seas are very choppy when you are there. That's doubt. That's wavering. And it's one thing if circumstances have an effect on your emotions, or if they have an effect on your health, that's the way that the human body works. But James says it's a very different thing if the circumstances control your faith, if they control how much you trust God, if they control how obedient you are to his commands. Because faith trusts God when the seas are calm and when the seas are choppy. Faith trusts that the commands of God that you want to obey are good for you, and that the commands you don't want to obey are also good for you. That's faith, that's sureness, and that's steadfastness. And so James says words that make perfect sense, but ought to make us tremble. It's in verse seven. He says, for that man ought not to expect that he will receive anything from the Lord, being a double-minded man, and unstable in all of his ways. That is a severe word. If our faith is unstable, right? If in the difficulties of life we're not trusting God, there's not a sureness there. He says that person can't suppose they'll receive anything from the Lord. Why? Why would God not... Uh, not bless the person that comes to him and asks for something when their faith is wavering? Well, because you don't trust him. 
because he blesses those who come to him in faith, those who come to him trusting his promises. And if you're coming, flipping back and forth and back and forth, he says, follow all of my ways. Follow me all of the time, in the good times and in the bad times, and see how much of my blessing I give you. See these promises come true in your life if you would follow me steadfastly and all the time if you would follow me in faith. The positive way of saying this is Proverbs 9, verse 10. It says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and knowledge of the Holy One is understanding. So wisdom is built on the fear of the Lord, right? It's built on trusting Him, believing in Him, revering Him, trembling with joy before Him. Upon that foundation, wisdom is built because that person goes to God for wisdom. But the negative way of saying it is that if you don't fear the Lord, He's going to withhold His wisdom from you. And instead of growing wise, you're going to grow into a fool. So if that doubt, if that wavering, if that lack of fear of the Lord is there in you, let this be the day that that changes. Let this be the day that you come to him and say, Jesus, I will trust all of your ways. I will obey all of your commands, not just the ones that I like. I will trust you all the time, not just in the good times, but also in the bad times. And that sort of faith is the sort of faith that he smiles upon and says, I dare you to ask me for wisdom because I've got it stored up right here and I cannot wait to give it to you. Let me bring it back to that manager that I had at that restaurant. You know, uh, my problem the first few months that I was there, it boils down to one thing. I didn't trust him. I thought he was out to get me, and so I didn't trust him. Because I didn't trust him, I didn't listen to him. Because I didn't trust him, I didn't make the corrections that he was telling me to make. And it wasn't until I learned that he was out for my good and that I could really trust him that things really started to work between us and that I could really glean from his wisdom. Well, some of us are in that same situation today. We're wondering why God isn't getting his wisdom, why we're not learning the lessons that he's trying to teach us. And it, you've got the same problem that I had with that manager. He says, you just don't trust me. He says, I'm right here, and I'm eager to teach you this vast store of wisdom that I've got, but you've got to trust me. Let's pray together.